but I just can't stand the pain Girl, I'm leaving you tomorrow Seems to me, girl, you know I've done all I can What a great song, right? Lionel Richie's, uh, could be the Commodores. I think it's Lionel Richie, covered by Faith No More. Great cover. Anyway, welcome to the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a teacher of the mysteries, preacher of the heart. Marty leads. We try to do this live, but our internet sucks, as you guys know. It's like the fourth or fifth time we've it's failed on us, and we, we pay a lot of money for that thing. So we're happy that that's going to be done pretty soon when we move down to Missouri. So anyway... Welcome to, welcome to the service, everybody. We do service every Sunday at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time, as you guys know. Um, I am your Beecher Preacher. We are not coming live from Beecher, Wisconsin. We are in Beecher, Wisconsin currently, but that's hopefully that's not going to be too long. So anyway, um, let's do it. Uh, we're going to do a prayer and we're going to jump right into it, okay? Dear Lord, we come before you, O God, with various measures of health and well-being from many places to this place of worship. God of love, you are God of all things. You hold the weak and the strong in your embrace. You are present with the sick and those who are well. You comfort our sorrows and give courage in our pain. You bear us up and give us strength for our days. 
You are glad when we are glad. You are sad when we are sad. We offer you all that we are in this day for your holding. We offer you our celebration of wholeness and healing, knowing that in Jesus, you are a God who bears all things, offering us well-being of body, mind, and spirit. So we gather before you in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So today, we are going to... This is episode 63 of the Sunday service, Matthew chapter 9. So we're going to do chapter 9, and then next week I think we're going to do chapter 10. And then we're going to go into a bunch of other things like um, square and compasses. I want to do a whole thing on meditation. A bunch of things coming up on the on the old hit parade, as I like to say. So, But this one is called Enlightenment is Not What You Thought It Was. And that's what we're going to discuss today. Uh, preconceived notions about what enlightenment is, what it looks like. Um, and we're going to, you know, we're going to... Well, Jesus is going to be our guide in, in learning that lesson. So let's jump right into it. Matthew chapter 9, numero uno. And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. So I just want to say something before we get going here. There's a bunch of star study and, and astrology and things like that that we can do that we can relate in, in this whole chapter. We're not going to do, I think I'm going to point out one thing. We're not really going to do too much of that. There's a bunch of things we could talk about, but uh, we're going to sort of stick with the spiritual, you know, try to extract the direct spiritual message from from these stories. Um, so we'll, we'll just gloss over a few of the star study things when we talk about it. Not going to be too much here. So 9-1, and he entered into a ship. We know that that ship is Argo Navis and that sort of thing, and passed over and came into his own city. Where's Jesus' own city? Jesus' own city is known as Capernaum. Capernaum in the New Testament, Capernaum became his home, and the Bible calls it Jesus' own city. So in Matthew, which we already covered this, tells us that Jesus left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum after meeting the temptation in the wilderness. We've talked about the wilderness. We talked about, you know, the devil, Draco, taking him up to the high place and the whole bit. So we already covered that. But Jesus' own city is called Capernaum. And where's Capernaum? Well, uh, and this is, once again, this will be a review for some, but we've covered this before. That Capernaum, that's your Aries. That's your ram. That's your lamb. We'll go to the etymology in just a second. There's your Aries. That's your ram. That's your lamb. That's your head. That's what it's talking about. So when they talk about Jesus entering into his own city, they're talking about a specific place. At the end of the day, the one thing that you need to, uh, when you pick up the Bible and read these stories, the one thing that you need to extract out of it, and this is not out of self-involvement or self-righteousness or any sort of self-thing. It's just like when you pick this Bible up and read it, what you need to do is look at these stories and say, well, what does this have to do with me? Because that's really what it what it should be all about. What does these stories have to do with me? And so what we're going to see is that, you know, in these opening lines, there's no way to even understand what, what Jesus is saying, where he is, that sort of thing, unless we relate it to ourselves, unless we employ that mysticism as well. You can't understand this story without looking at the Zodiac Man, okay? And we'll see that. So we'll see it in the language. We'll see We'll see the whole thing. So, and he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. This is Jesus entering into the head, the lamb, the ram. And this is Capernaum. That's the city. So when we look at the etymology of Capernaum, Caper um, describes uh, the formation of any sort of protective perimeter around any sort of vulnerable interior. So it's a protective. It's like a dome. It's like a... It's like a, it's a roof, if you will. A head covering cap, the word cap, the root of Capernaum, that, that, that prefix, um, is a head covering, especially with a visor and no brim. A distinctive head covering, emblematic of a position of office as well, but a distinctive head covering, something that covers a you know, protective perimeter. And then Naum actually means a village of consultation, oh, excuse me, a village of consolation protected by being sorry 
It's a place to be sorry for comfort. It may mean to have regret or also to have compassion and comfort to console, that sort of thing. So what they're talking about here is when Jesus entered into the ram, the Aries, the lamb, the Capernaum, the head, when he entered, it's like this is the place that you go to do your repentance, to do to feel sorry for the things that you have done wrong and to take care of those things, okay? Let's talk a little bit about repentance here because what you have with a lot of the modern churches looking at human beings like, oh, you you fell from on high, you evil pieces of shit, right? And basically a lot of these modern churches you know, it's like for, for a lot of them, especially like the Catholic thing, right? You know, it's like there's a lot of guilt. Like you're just walking around with guilt your whole life, feeling bad. That's not what repentance is for. Repentance is the process in which you go to cleanse your spiritual vessel. And we'll read that moving forward to that, you know, to, to, to uh, become that new spiritual body. So you go into your head. You go into here and you think through the things that you had done wrong in this life. It's not because you're not supposed to seek repentance because it's like you fell from on high and you're just supposed to feel like shit the rest of your life. Like, no, that's not what it's about. In this life, because we are lost little sheep, because we make mistakes, because we go down wrong paths, because we've had regrets and we do stupid things and we're arrogant or, you know, we get ahead of ourselves and we're, you know, we, we, um... You know, we, we lose our, our character. You know, it's like we have a character lapse sometimes, that, that sort of thing. What The whole point is to deal with those, go right, as I like to say, face them head on. Face these things head on. Be genuine and honest with the things that you've done in this life that you need to seek forgiveness for. And whether that's to forgive yourself, forgive another that you've hurt, ask for, for or, or that's hurt you, ask for forgiveness for the person that, that you've harmed. And ultimately, go in and deal with that. But it's not just to deal with it and be like, oh, I feel terrible about myself with repentance. And then then the next day you get up after you've, you know, after you've dealt with whatever it is you dealt with. Maybe you, you know, you spent all your money for your child's education or you cheated on your husband or your wife or you were a dick at, you know, whatever it was, whatever the thing is. You go in, you deal with it, you seek that forgiveness, you ask for forgiveness, right? Number one, God's already forgiven you. God's already forgiven you. You guys know that, right? We teach that when you, God is the substance of love. That's what he is. It's the most you could possibly say about it. That thing is a forgiveness and a mercy and a grace and a beauty and a love so strong. You can't even fucking comprehend it. We can't even comprehend the level of forgiveness and mercy and grace and love that that, that, that being called God Almighty gives to us. So we're down here. And he wants you to cleanse yourself, cleanse your vessel. And that's what repentance is all about. You go in and, okay, these are the things I need to f fix. These are the things I need. I did wrong. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to enlighten myself. I want to be a better person. I want to be more upright, more virtuous. You go in, you take care of it, and you deal with it. Then, then, you let it fucking go. You let it fucking go. Okay? You don't sit there and deal with, okay, I've, I've asked for forgiveness. I've asked God for forgiveness. I've, I've dealt with it. I know I've done the stupid thing. I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to be in alignment with Christ. And, and you cleanse yourself. This is what making the spiritual body is all about, which is what we'll talk about. Okay? It's not so that you can deal with it, ask for forgiveness, go in and say, look, I'm not going to do that anymore. And then the next day, start it all over again. Oh, I'm such a dumbass, an idiot. I have a tough one with this one, by the way. <laughs> you guys think I'm like all of my, like preaching from on high or something like this. No, this is a confessional right now, for Christ's sake. Anyway, that's what repentance is all about. 
And where do you do that? You do that in the interior. You do that in your in your head, in your Aries, in your ram. So that's what you know. So that's what we mean by repentance. You want to cleanse yourself, right? Eventually, if you live a Christ life, a Christ-like life, and you li- and you take up your cross and follow Him, right? Your the whole point is to get to a place where you don't need Christ. You don't, in this sense, not that you don't need Christ. Of course, we all need Christ. What I mean is that just as it'll say in these chapters here. Christ didn't come for the he didn't come for the people that were whole. He came for the sinners to repent. Why did he not come to the people that were whole? Because they already had Christ. You want to get to that place where you're just emanating, oozing out every single pore that the you know the the vibratory emanative essence that is the Lord, that is the light. That's what it's all about. So it's not for you to sit there and feel guilty the rest of your life. Okay. Matthew 9, 2, and behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy. This guy had palsy. You guys know what palsy is? I'm not going to cover that right here because you guys can just look it up. But, you know, it's, it's an ailment. It's a malady. It's a disease. And he's lying on the bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sons, excuse me, thy sins be forgiven thee. So Jesus healed this person because other people had faith, seeing their faith, the people that brought this sick man, why did he heal him? He was rewarding them because what were they doing? Things for for somebody else and not themselves. They were living a charitable, philanthropic, service-filled life. They were an aid and service to other people. Jesus saw that and they're like, is this, oh, because you're doing this, you want this guy to be healed? Let's heal him. Let's do some work. Okay, now he says this, just as we talked about, there's this this, this, like Catholic guilt thing. I've I've spoken to enough people that are like, I'm a recovering Catholic, right? Because it's like this whole thing where it's like you you live your life trying to, you feel feeling guilty and stuff like that. Well, Jesus's message is a little bit different. He says this, son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Be of good cheer. Be joyful, be happy, be spirited. This is what we say. A true spiritual teacher, if they're teaching honest spirituality, should teach you how to be a spirited individual. Is to not sit there living in fear and worry and regret and, and, all, and, and all of this sort of stuff. No, a, spirit, a true spiritual teacher should teach you that the best way that you can be spirited is to be full of joy, to be spirited. That's what it means to be spiritual. That's what Jesus' message is. Guys, don't feel bad. Be of good cheer. We're going to heal this guy. Why are we healing him? Oh, because you guys did stuff for everybody else. You were in service and aid to everybody else. That's why you brought him. Once again, if you guys watched the Sword in the Stone lecture, why, why did the little wart, little Arthur, why did he get to pull the sword from the stone? Spoiler alert, because he did everything for everybody else but himself. He was humble. He wanted to learn. He was inquisitive. He was a warrior. He was ready for adventure at any moment. He never did anything for himself. He didn't give a shit about being king. He pulled the sword from the stone because Cain needs a sword. That's what Jesus is saying. That's why he's healing him. 
Matthew 9, 3. And behold, a certain of the scribes. Who are the scribes? The scribes are they who scribble out the Torah, the old ways of the old religion and the Old Testament and the whole bit. These are the people that are like, we've got the thing. We've got the way to the path of Jesus, or path of the God Almighty because we wrote this stuff down and we scribbled it and we spend our time and we're on a wall and we're doing all this other shit. And these people, these scribes, think that they got the ticket home. They think they're on God's, they're just, God's just grabbing them all, being like, oh, I love you so much, all you Jews, all you scribblers. And behold, a certain of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemeth. They said within themselves, they said, they didn't speak this. They didn't say, they didn't come up to Jesus. Ah, you're a blasphemer, you devil worshiper. No, they said it within themselves, which was really, what, what, what is this saying? Oh, you saw the light, the way, the truth. It was right before you, right, with, right within you in this sense, right? Right in your grips. And you saw him perform these miracles and you denied it. Why? Because you got a sick heart. Because you're disgusting in here. Because you're evil in your heart. And Jesus, you didn't even have to speak one word and Jesus could see right frickin' through it. Behold, a certain of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, the thoughts in their hearts. Wait, I thought the thoughts come up here. What? Right? When you purify this, when you go through that repentance, what are you doing? You're purifying the heart. Because you have compassion, you have love. You want the best for this world. You want the best for your fellow man. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? Now, Jesus, when Jesus speaks, it's just pure truth. It's just, it's just truth, right? It's divine truth. So when you see this, um, oh, wait, let me stop here before we get into that. I'm sorry. Let me, let, me, let me go back here before we get into that. We'll get into a little math here. I forgot one thing. Notice it says here, and behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy. And this guy that was sick of the palsy had an ailment. He had a malady, had a disease or whatever, right? And because he has this disease, he's a sinner? Really? What? What is going on here? Oh, this guy has palsy. He's got uh, MS or he's got whatever it is. Multiple sclerosis. He's got cancer. Ah, oh, you evil sinner. You piece of shit. No. No. What is the metaphor, the allegory, if you will, of palsy? This, whenever you see this in the Bible, this, these are allegories for spiritual awakening. And anytime you see this in the Bible, oh, Mary had seven devils and then Jesus came and cast him out. Oh, my daughter is sick and she's got devils within him and cast him out. She's laying on the bed. Nazar uh, let's see, Lazarus went Bethany, right? He's, he's sleeping or he's dead or he's sick. I'm not really sure. But then if he's sleeping, he's awake. And if he's dead, he's reborn. And if he's sick, he's healed. All of these things, when the Bible talks about this, are allegories for spiritual awakening. He's sick. He's got palsy. Then Jesus comes and he heals him. What, 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 is, what is the palsy referencing? Spiritual sickness. You didn't have the truth, the way, the life. You were living a deluded, absolutely, you know, all over the place existence, right? You're not in alignment with that truth. Christ shows up and then boom, now you're healed. You're blind. We're going to see now. You're dead. You're going to be reborn. You're lost. You're found. You're dumb. You see the light. You're sick with devils. You're made whole. He's sleeping. All of a sudden he's awake. These are all allegories for spiritual awakening. Okay? Most literalists just see that and it's like, well, the guy had palsy. And, it's, and this is why they don't understand the spiritual messages of the Bible. 
So that's what that's all referring to. Now, Jesus is going to heal, or actually he's going to uh, counter these scribes that said, you are of the devil. And they didn't even say it. They literally just said it in here. And Jesus is like, I can see right through you, bitch. I can see right through you. And we're going to talk about the in and the out at the end of this. We're going to talk about the in and the out. So many people say, you got to go in, you got to go in, you got to go in. Okay, well, what did the what is the, the true mystical insight? That when you go in, you go out. And we'll cover that. Because this chapter covers it. So, that's what... All of those allegories are for spiritual awakening. So now Jesus is confronting the scribes and he says, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? Now this is, once again, this is pure truth. This is divine truth. This is the logos, the order of this creation. What is the rainbow in the Bible? It's a covenant between God and, and, uh, and us. That's what it means. It's a symbol for, and this is why it's so sick, that they've used the rainbow for the trans gay agenda thing. It's sick. It's absolutely sick. They used the very symbol that the Norse used and the Celts used and the freaking and you find in the Old Testament. They use a symbol of the rainbow, which is your which is uh, your link to God in this sense, your the the covenant, the agreement that man has with God, and they used it for anal sex. Think about it. So, why am I bringing up the rainbow? Because when Jesus speaks, it's like a rainbow of colors. It's so pure and light, metaphysical truth just emanating out of his freaking mouth. Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts. That's seven. That's seven words, as you can see right down there. Those seven words in a sevenfold septenary cipher, which is what we got right there. That's what we use all the time when we, we discuss English. That sevenfold cipher looks at those seven words, and do you know what it encodes? The number 140. Everybody see that? Okay, so what? Right? Well, this is the rainbow. Rainbow has seven letters. There's seven colors in the rainbow. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. When you use the sevenfold cipher on the rainbow, that covenant between God and man equals 140. You know what else equals 140? Just square the first seven numbers. 1 squared, 2 squared, 3 squared, 4 squared, 5 squared, 6 squared, 7 squared. You square those numbers, you know what it equals? 140. It's all right there. You can double check the math. So when Jesus is speaking and calling out these scribes, seeing the evil, the sickness that's in their heart, when he's speaking, it's like, there's so much more going on. He's actually talking about oh, the covenant that God made with you, scribes, you broke it. I see the evil in your heart. You don't even have to say a word. Matthew 9, 5. For whether is easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and walk. Which is, Jesus is saying, for whether is it easier to say, oh, you're, I forgive you for your sins. I'll go about your day. That's right. I forgive you. Or to say, arise and walk. We'll get into this. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Where do we do our repentance? Where do we do where do we ask for forgiveness? We do it here. That's what earth is for. The whole point of you being here is to go through that spiritual process, cleanse the self, and be ready to accept Christ. Right? Then he says to the then he says to the sick of the palsy, and by the way, a power on earth, we'll get into that in a second. To, to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, 
He didn't say, oh, your sins are forgiven you. Yeah, that's all right. Just, yeah, it's cool. You just lay there. Your sins are forgiven you. It's cool. You're going to go to heaven. No, he didn't say that. He said, arise, take up the bed, take up thy bed and go into thy house. Matthew 9, 7 says, and he rose and departed into his house. Now we could talk, there's, once again, there's astrology that we can star study, that sort of stuff that we can map to this. We're not going to do that though. Um, arise, take up thy bed. So he could have just said, ah, your sins are forgiven. But what did he say? Arise, get your ass up and walk on your own two feet. That's what he's saying. Take up thy bed and go into thine house. And he arose and he did what Christ said. Jesus, once again, could have just said, ah, your sins are forgiven. It's cool. Nope. What is this? What is this? This is empowerment. This is what it's saying. It's complete empowerment. Of course, how do you, is this empowerment over another human being? No. Is this to have power over your fellow man and control them? No, no. It has nothing to do with that. The the empowerment that it's saying is that you can get, you know, with the power of Christ, of course, when you, when you embody this divine truth within your life, this is going to give you strength. This is going to get you to say, I am going to arise and walk. But you got the sickness. I don't care. I got Christ now. So this is um, Philippians. This is two Philippians 2, I want to say. Paul. I know both uh, 2.12, I think. Don't quote me. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed to be full and to be hungry, both to be abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. What does abound mean? Abound means exist in large numbers. That's what it means, or amounts. So I know how to be abased. We'll get into that in just a second. And how to abound, exist in all things. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed. Everything in this creation, just as we say, tells you this message. The stars tells you the message. Marty, why are we focused on the stars? Because there's a great mystery and a great story up there. And it's all about empowerment and sending you home. Oh, but wait a second. That message is written right here too? Yep. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Abased is to be abased, so he's abound in all things. Abased, which basically means to behave in belittles or degrades. But really, the, the archaic message of this is to be humble. Is to humble. So this is two things. Like you're humbling yourself, and yet you're recognizing that what? That that power, that message, that sort of thing is in all things. And when you bring Christ into your life, just as it's saying in Matthew here, arise, Brings Christ into his life, and what happens? He's empowered. He didn't just say, oh, your sins are forgiven thee. That's probably what the scribes would have said. Oh, well, oh, the all God Almighty. For Jesus has got a different message. He's saying, get your ass up and climb the mountain. And that's what he's saying. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. It's incredibly empowering. Now, look at the verbiage here. Look at all of the things this is, <laughs> so it starts, uh, this is the last 9.5. It says, for whether is it is easier to say thy sins be forgiven thee or to say arise, arise, it says. Then here's the next, next page here. It says, and he says, arise, take up the bed. And he arose. And then it goes down and even says, and he arose and followed them. Arise, Aries, arose. This is all a reference to what? Exactly where the first verse tells you that Christ is right here. Take on this life head on, head first. 
and don't take care of the things in here. Repent, repent. Feel sorry for the shit you did wrong. Cleanse it and get the fuck rid of it and allow that energy to rise up within you and get on your own two feet and walk and know that every step of the way, every step of the way up that mountain, who's going to be there with you? But when the multitudes saw it, they marveled. They saw that this guy had palsy. The people brought him to him, you know, for, through their faith. This guy got up and walked. It was a freaking miracle, if you will, right? When the multitudes saw it, there's a bunch of people saw it, they marveled. They're like, whoa, this guy's crazy. This guy could do some shit, man. And then they said, uh, they marveled and glorified God, comma, which had given such power unto men. That does not say it, they've given such power unto this dude here named Christ. And when he's gone, that's it. No, where is Christ? Within you. So I guess what, it, what is it saying? It's not mincing words. The multitude saw it. They marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men, unto you. That power of Christ is within you. This is incredibly empowering stuff. And I think that most of the churches just completely miss it. The Catholics got you going in there, get you know, get throwing a hundred bucks, and then making you feel like shit. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, and he saith unto him, "Follow me, Matthew, Matt, follow me, Matty boy." And he arose, he arose, and he followed him. Now. Let's talk about Matthew a second. Matthew, the, uh, what is the receipt of customs? So Jesus walks by, he sees Matthew, and Matthew is at the receipt of customs. Okay, so that means that this is a the receipt of customs is a tax imposed by the Romans. The tax gatherers were termed publicans who had their stations at the gates of city and in public highways and the place set apart from the purpose called the receipt of custom. So there would be these guys that would sit at roadways and stuff like that. And in order for you to pass along and walk freely on God's land, they said, well, you're going to have to pay Caesar. This is what Matthew was doing. Matthew was a fucking IRS, IRS agent. It's going to be some cursing today and you'll get, you'll see why. And just when I keep going, um, Matthew was an IRS agent, a modern day. That's what he would be. Think about that. What a turnaround. What a turnaround. As we'll see, Jesus is calling out the old law and the, he's not caring about what the Romans said. He's, he's living this life of complete alignment with truth and God Almighty. And along that path, what are you going to have to do? We'll call out satanic organizations and things that are actually trying to prevent you from being in alignment with God. What are one of those things? The IRS. Oh no, even though you're here and you were gifted by God and everything is owned by God and everything will return to him, in order for you to breathe and stand on this land, you have to pay up. You have to you have to pay to Caesar. That's who Matt was. Matty, St. Matthew, IRS agent. What is why is it important that they would that they would make Matthew an IRS agent? Well, number one, what does that what do the people that deal with like taxes and receipts of custom and all that sort of stuff. What do they deal with? All day. Math, numbers, right? Okay, subtle hint there. Number two, 
Number, his name is Matthew. Yes, phonetics matter. Number three, beyond all of that, why is it important that he's an IRS agent? Or in the receipt of customs tax, that sort of thing. Modern day IRS agent. Because they need to tell you a story about what? About that process of the great work. About the transformation that you need to undergo. Let's, uh, let's talk about Paul. We'll get back into Matthew. Let's talk about Paul. So Matt went from an IRS agent to now following Christ. Wow, what a turnaround. What about Paul? You get Paul in the earlier, earlier days. Paul was literally crucifying Christians, whatever, allegedly, you know, possibly killing them. Like he hated Christ. Then what happened? He had a transformation and now he becomes St. Paul. Not the city in Minnesota. That place is kind of a shithole. No offense to anybody who lives in Minnesota, but I'm from Wisconsin and we don't like Minnesotans. Anyway, just jokes. Calm down, everybody. So we had St. Paul that went from what? <laughs> Crucifying Christians, basically, you know, jailing them and that sort of stuff. And then what happened to him? He became the one of the greatest prophets ever, one of the greatest saints ever. So what happened to Matt? Why is it important that Matt, they tell you that Matt was a, a an IRS agent? Because Matt did a 180. So did Paul. Right? Correct. Like if you were going to say, what, what, when they turned their life around, what did they do? I don't know. Maybe they turned around 180, 180. You mean like Christ? You mean like the Trinity? So it's very important why Matt, Matt there is a, um, an IRS agent there. And, or as Jason Kidd said, we're going to turn this team around 360 degrees. So we're going to turn Paul around 360 degrees and he's going to be what? Still crucifying Christians? Anyway, funny quote. Um, so that's why it's important. It's important that what? Matthew there goes from the IRS agent to what? Following Christ. Lead to gold. The fool card to the world. Sick to healed. Blind, now he can see. Sleepeth now he's awake. <clears throat> and it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat, which basically just means, hey, we're going to eat dinner together in the house. Behold, many publicans, which the public is, once again, that's also a reference to pub the public. That's what it means. But as you can see there, publicans is also a reference to what? The IRS agents and sinners. <laughs> do you think that the, let's just, let's just, you know, we don't want to judge, judge not, lest he be not judged, right? So we're not judging anybody's spiritual life and where they're going to end up or anything like that. But if you're an IRS agent and just trying to destroy people's lives and saying, well, you got to pay the government in order to live, even though God gave you that breath and that body and the very land that you stand on and the wind and the sky and the earth and everything that you can see and can't see, God gave you all of that, pay up, pay us. Do you really think that they're going to be rewarded by God? What about the TSA agents that have no problem? Oh, I just need to touch you here. I can just tell you when I went, when I, we just flew, I kept this on. And of course, the little, I had to do this fucking thing. Why do we accept this? We do this thing, right? And I kept this on. And all of a sudden, oh, beep, 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 beep. So this person dragged me, drug me over and he's like, oh, can I, can I just feel this right here? And I looked at him. I'm like, 
What do you think? I'm concealing a Glock here or something? Do you think I got something strapped to my chest? No, it's a rosary. This is here to remind you what of a sinner you are. How you violate people's personal space, their physical, their spiritual autonomies, and you don't give two shits as long as you get that paycheck. Zero integrity. Zero dignity. Zero spirit. Zero heart. Do you think God's going to be good to those people? Well, he will if they turn around. And it came to pass, as Jesus said at meat, he ate dinner with a bunch of sinners and publicans. Came down and sat with him and his disciples. The disciples came over too. Okay, so, and then of course the scribes and the Pharisees were like, what are you doing, man? Right? When the Pharisees saw, saw it, they said unto his disciples, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? We are the chosen people. You don't hang out with the Gentile and the Goy and the, and the plebs. You're of a spiritual nature. Jesus actually realizes his spiritual nature, the divine truth, and that's why he's sitting at the table with people. He knows that all of these sinners also have God within them. And he wants to, he's there to help them understand that. That's why Jesus appears. That's when he shows up in you. And when Jesus heard that, he's like, you guys are full of shit. That's what he said. It says it right. I'm, that's paraphrasing. But he says this. They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. These people are sick. I'm here to be an aid to humanity. Once again, why did I heal that person with palsy? Because the people that brought them, brought him to, to Jesus, showed their faith. He was there for people. He was there to aid anybody that was there to help humanity, help one another. They that, if you're whole, you, you already got me. I'm already up in your business. I'm looking for the people that don't. Then he says, then he says now you, because you think evil in your hearts, you're not going to understand this. So then he says this, but go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. I don't need to call the righteous. They already heard the call. They already had the word up in their business. They had, they, they had it reverberating out their fingertips. I don't need to come to them. They already got it. These Pharisees and scribes, they had the assumption that we got it. We're the chosen ones. We're heading straight up into the freaking, you know, eternal life. And then we're asking, he's like, wait, what are you doing? Why, why do you give a shit about these people? Ooh, maybe, maybe as this live stream is called, enlightenment isn't what you thought it was. Then came to the disciples of John saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast off, but the disciple oft, fast oft, often, but the disciples fast not? The disciples, why, so us Pharisees, our law and stuff like that says we have to fast and that sort of thing. And then the Pharisees, so, and then the Pharisees are saying, well, why are your disciples not fasting? We've talked about this before. I think it was Mark Brotherson that said, it's like, if you have Jesus and he's the bread of life, that would be like your, that would be like trying to fast at Thanksgiving. It's like you've got a table that's just overflowing with stuffing and potatoes and corn. And, you know, m mom made the really good jello that she always makes with the cherries in there and shit like that. And you got a fat ass turkey, excuse me. You got a fat ass turkey. And, uh, you know, it's like, and then you're going hungry. You can't, that's not a thing. 
It's not a thing. So Jesus says, can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, then they shall fast. If you have Christ, you can't go hungry. That's the point, right? So um, let's see if I have this here. Jesus is the uh, bread of life. Said, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. And Jesus said said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth in me shall never thirst. Right? But he answered and said unto him, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Right? That's that thing that's like, oh, uh, we proceed. So every, in other words, the bread of life that is Christ is pure, unadulterated, once one, 100, you know, 100% pristine truth. When you have that, you can't go hungry. It's impossible. Once again, it's like it's like it's like you have a Thanksgiving meal on your table all the time. It's like that old freaking Celtic joke, you know what I mean? Where it's like the this this uh, leprechaun comes up and he sees this Irishman and he's you know he's in his you know he's in his field and he's hoeing his potatoes and things like that and this little leprechaun comes up and he and the Irishman sees the leprechaun and he grabs the leprechaun and he's like I gotcha and then the leprechaun's like ah oh, man you you got me. And then the Irishman goes to the leprechaun. And he's like, hey, one of the things about catching a leprechaun is that you have to grant me three wishes, right? And the leprechaun's like, okay, fine. What's your first wish? And the Irishman says, I want a, 16, I want a pint, of, pint of Guinness, a cold, frosty pint of Guinness that eternally fills up. And, and the leprechaun's like, all right, fine. And then gives him that. And also, poof, in his hand, there's a big glass of Guinness. And the Irishman's like, get it. So he's like, drinks that down all the way. So there's just that froth at the very bottom, the dregs, if you will. And as soon as he finishes it, fills right back up. And the guy, and the Irishman's like, oh my Lord, this is amazing. I'll never go thirsty. What does he do? Drinks another one, drinks it all the way down, gets to the bottom. All of a sudden, fills right back up. And then the, he's holding the leprechaun. And the leprechaun goes, all right, man, what's your next two wishes? And the Irishman says, I'll take two more of these. Great joke. Great joke, especially if you're an Irishman who has a poor pension to drink. Um, so you can't go hungry if you constantly have the bread of eternal life. That's what it's saying. Why is Jesus recognized as the bridegroom? Once again, bridegroom. What is that? That's the merging of the male and female. We just talked about that last Easter. The entire reason, the entire reason that we are celebrating Easter on the merging of the sun and the moon is why? Is because Jesus represents the completion of the great work, the completion of the alchemical androgen. He merged the sun and the moon, the circle and the square, and the male and female. And that's what Jesus is all about. And this is why they're saying, he's like, oh, if the bridegroom is there, if we've, if, you're right, right? If, if he's there, then we've, you know, we've got that bread of life. If he's not, then what? We're going to go hungry. And that is, once again, that is the merging of those, I'm not going to read all of this, but the masculine and feminine traits. It's being a holistic being. What did Jesus just say? I have not come as a, like the physician to fix the, well, we'll get into that. It's, it says it later on. I guess I didn't say it right away, but um, it says, um, I'm not, you know, you guys are whole. I don't, you don't, you've already got Christ. I don't need to come to you. I need to go to sinners that need to repent that need to cleanse their vessels so they are not divided in this sense. So, this is 
the, the, the message of the bridegroom. The other thing about the bridegroom is that it says, can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them and then they shall fast. What is, um, what is the chamber? What is the chamber? Once again, what is this all about? It's all about heart work. Even, even Jesus was saying like, you're thinking evil in your hearts. It's right here. I can see right through it, right freaking through it. And you're not spiritually cleansed. So what is the chamber? It's the chambers of the heart. Okay. So let's keep going. You can't go hungry when you got Christ in, in, in spiritually hungry. You know, that's what I mean. So then it even goes on and he elaborates more on the, this is very parabolic, of course, right? And I think most people can, I'm not going to hang on this too much, but most people can grab the, you know, the, the spiritual message from this. No man putteth a piece of new cloth onto an old garment for that which is put in it to fill it up, taketh away from the garment and the rent is made worse. You're not trying to patch your old being. You're trying to get rid of that rough ashlar. So you, so what you can find within you is that perfected being being Christ. Okay, so you're not going to try to patch up and do that thing. No, you go to the repentance and what do you do? Let it fucking go. Let it go. Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break and the wine runneth out and the bottles perish. But the new wine into new bottles and both are preserved. You, what, what this is, by the way, I just want to mention this. No, this is not a Mandela effect. This is, this is the translation of the King James. I'm not going to go into this, but there's a reason that they're, they're actually changing wineskins to bottles. One of the reasons, one of the reasons that they're doing this is to let you know that this has been translated into English. That using modern, if you will, modern English terms, okay? That's, that's too much of a discussion to go into right now. I did three hours on the Mandela effect, which is... So I'm not revisiting that, but so no, this is not a Mandela effect. No, you can just go to the other translations and you'll see wineskins, 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 wineskins. The King James changes it to bottles though. Once again, there's a reason for that. Um, this is too much to go into right now though. Ultimately, what it's talking about is the spiritual body that you can't put the old wine into old bottles. That's no, you're a new being. No, 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 no. We shed all of that and now you're going to awaken as a new being. You don't have to go back and put some patches on and try to stick some old wine in there. That's not what happens. That shit's going to bust. It's going to break. What this is ultimately talking about is the spiritual body. In Christianity, the Apostle Paul introduced the concept of the spiritual body. There's the spiritual and the, and we've talked about this before, the corruptible, the incorruptible, the spiritual, the natural, that sort of stuff. Um... In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, describing the resurrected body as the spiritual in contrast to the natural body. So does the resurrection of the dead. So this is really what it's talking about. Another way to say this is like you can't, you know, once once you <laughs> once you advance in your spiritual life, you can't go back and try to put on the old pants, right? You're not those those are the pants that you wore in high school that you thought that you looked really good in. You're no 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 no. You've gained some spiritual weight now. You're not going to go and put those things back on. That, that you back then when you were an idiot and just, you know, running around, doing too many drugs, not paying attention to your spiritual life, being a dick, what weasel, all of that sort of stuff. You don't want to go put those old pants on. Oh, if I just patch these up, they're real. That, no, you're a new being now. Let it go. Recognize the thing, repent, recognize things you've done wrong and be the new being. Okay. That's what it's all about. 
So, while he spake these things, unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her. Once again, I'm not going to go into this, but why the hand? Why the healing hands? Why is the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Why does Jesus always come over and lay his hands? Why? It's Kabbalah. Go back to the geometry of good thinking, that live stream. It's all Kabbalah. Okay? The power in your hands. That power of Christ that runneth through the very tips of your fingers to give you what? Empowerment. Once again, not over another human being, to spiritually empower you so you can go light candles. While he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead. This woman's dead, he's saying. And of course, he has a lot of faith because he's coming to Jesus as he worshiped Jesus. And he's coming for what? Somebody else. Did he come to him? He's like, Jesus, I want to be king of all England. No. He's like, Jesus, can you please make sure I have a bunch of silver and gold in my chest so that I can, you know. No. No, he's like, my daughter's dead, please. He came for somebody else. See, it's a great, great lesson about putting yourself in aid to humanity in any way, shape, or form you can. We'll get into that moving forward. So this is, I just want to mention this. This is, once again, we could talk about a bunch of this stuff here, but this is all patterned off things in the sky because they're eternal stories. They're timeless stories. So who is the certain ruler? That's Cepheus. He's a ruler. He's the king. He's at the top. There's a woman that's his daughter, Andromeda. What's she doing? The Andromeda constellation is literally laying down in the stars in this sense, sometimes chained to the mountain, a lot of times shown laying down. She was laying, she was sick, she was dead in this sense. She was dead, she's going to be reborn. She's sick, she's going to be healed, that whole thing. So there's uh, the, the star patterns there. I just want to mention that. And Jesus arose. There he is. There he is going to rise. Aries arose. It's all going up, all going up. And followed him, and so did his disciples. And then, so he meets this woman. And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. You know what a hem of a garment is, too? The hem, this is important language, too, right? The, the, once again, this is all about what? The spiritual body, right? The, 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 the clothing, whatever, that you're putting on in this sort of sense. This is, this is Jesus' total spiritual, you know, can't sin, this sort of thing. Woo, this is what you're dealing with. So this woman who was diseased, she had a dis-ease. She had a demon within her in this sort of sense, right? With an issue of blood 12 years. Well, okay, why, why 12 years? Once again, this gets into the math. Came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. I'm sorry, I forgot to say something. The hem, <laughs> I get ahead of myself. A hem... What do you, when you hem a garment, what happens, right? When you hem something, like if you cut a garment, what is it? It's frayed ends. That's what happens. It's falling apart. It's all, right? It's all coming apart. It's all frayed. And if you just don't hem it, then it's, the next thing you know, your pants are going to rip up and that sort of stuff. Well, do, is, do you think there's any frayed ends on Jesus's garment? No, no. So this woman had an issue of blood 12 years. Okay, well... In scripture, the prophetic year, so when they mention a year, this is, they, they mentioned 360 days. So in scripture, a prophetic years of 360 days instead of the normal 365 days, okay, has been interpreted as being equal to prophetic months of 30 days uh, or years, that sort of stuff. So when they say uh, he, she had an issue of blood 12 years, the year is 360 days. 
Okay. She had, so one year is 360. Once again, according to the, this is why you know it's not literal. How are you going to actually map the years if you're five days off, six days off every four years or whatever, right? It doesn't make any sense mathematically. Well, obviously they're referring to something else. So the prophetic year of 360 days, she had a blood issue of blood 12 years. 12 times 360 is 4,000. 320, there's the math. You can do it yourself. 12 years, 360 days in that prophetic year. 12 times 360 is 4,320. What is Jesus? Jesus multiplied is 4 times 5 times 6 times 6 times 6 is 4,320. That's the paradise. That's the pair of dice. It's the paradise. It's the pair of dice. It's the paradise. It's the pair of dice. It's the paradise. Jesus, I, I, I will be with you in paradise. What? So, uh, to, to die are, um, wait, what do you do? You die and then be reborn, right? What are these called? Die. When you unfold these, what happens? Does it form a cross? Ah, that's another live stream. There's two die there, the paradise. Paradise? Paradise. And they're each 2,160 degrees. 2,160 times two, to account for the pair of dice, is 4,320. Do you remember when we talked about the three days and we said that that number three transcends just what the sun is doing? We talked about that last live stream, last Easter, the Easter service. We said that transcends. What was three days? 4,320 minutes. The numbers are there so that you can actually extricate the science out of it. So, there is that. Let us move on. Um, for she said within herself, she said it within herself, if I, may be if I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. If you even, once again, when you talk about like the totality of God, right? When we talk about that God is love, substance of love, that's all there is, is that is that being of love. You even, just even, touch a little bit of it, you're absorbed into its higher being. Because there is no outside of God. There is no standing outside of God in this sort of sense, being like, oh, look at you, God. It's like, if you, as soon as you put your eyes on God, whoo, you're going to be absorbed in that. If, of course, once, if you have the, you know, if you go through the repentance, that sort of thing. Otherwise, you're not going to see Christ in, in, in this sense, right? But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, daughter, Andromeda, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. This is mathematical terminology. What is the whole? It's the circle. It's, it's one of the things it's saying. What is the, the circle encapsulates the most amount of space with the least amount of effort. The, the sphere encapsulates the most amount of volume in this sense with the least surface area, that kind of thing. So um, that's so that that whole re that's a that's a mathematical reference, okay? And the woman was made whole from that hour. From that hour, hour is a reference to Horus, son, that sort of thing. I'm not going to get into that. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house, there it is again. He's a ruler. That's that's Cephas, and saw the minstrels and the people making a noise. He said unto them, "Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth." And they laughed him to scorn. They're like, ha, 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 you idiot. You don't know, right? Here's the truth right in front of them. And the multitude saw, there's a bunch of people that saw him. It's like, oh my God, this, this guy knows exactly what he's doing. And then there's other people that have said, oh, I have the ability on earth given unto men 
to heal. D didn't he give the power to the disciples too to heal the sick? So he said unto them, Give place for the maid is not dead but sleepeth, and they laughed him to scorn. You can't you don't have the power to awaken. And of course, that's all nonsense. She's not dead, but sleepeth. She was dead, she's gonna be reborn. If she's sleeping, she's gonna wake. What is talking about here? Of course, this is an allegory for the spiritual awakening, and they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand. The power of the hands. Why do you think we focus so much on the hands, people? And the maid arose, arise, the Aries. So, all right, we're going to pass the basket around. And if you would like to support the fine work that we do here at the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ, we keep going by your support. So if you'd like to become a subscribe star, that would be amazing. Uh, Venmo, buy me a coffee, cash app. And please, only if you can afford, um, you know, to support. Um, but that's how we keep going. And so we know it's, you know, it's it's difficult out there these days, inflation, all that other stuff. But we appreciate anybody that does support the service that we provide here because it is a very good service. And there is, and I'll just say this, and I'm not here to toot my own horn or anything like that, but there's no other place that you're going to get this information on the web. It's just the way it is. So if you would like to support um, by sending a letter or anything like that, uh, Ken McNally, N17178, Country Pride Drive, Pembine, Wisconsin, 54156. <laughs> Thank you so much for all the people that do support the wonderful work that we do here. Uh, it means the world to us. So let's keep going. Matthew 9, 26. And the fame hereof went abroad into all that land. His fame. Everybody started hearing about Jesus. Everybody started hearing about the truth. And they're like, ooh, I want to awaken to that. Sounds a lot like what's going on right now, isn't it? And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men, there, once again, there's astrotheology that we can assign to this. We're not going to do that just for brevity's sake. Two blind men followed him crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. They, notice they call him the son of David. So um, that's another whole other live stream. And when he was come into the house, house is an astrological term, once again, once not even going to get into that. Uh, who, do, who do you think are the two blind men? If you were going to take a house in the Zodiac, Little little homework for you guys. We're going to take a house in the Zodiac, and it had two men in there. What would that be? Gemini? Okay. I'm saying that. So the blind men came to him, and Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? They said unto him, Yeah, Lord. Where is Christ right now, though? Notice he says, I am. The, the great I am. I think we all understand what the great I am is, right? 
Um, believe ye that I am able to do this. They believed in, in, in Christ. And they said, yeah, Lord. And he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it unto you. So, to, once again, use his hand to touch their eyes. What's, you know, what, what's happening here? Once again, this is self-empowerment. This is exactly what's going on here. Do you believe in yourself? Because when, when you talk about exactly where Christ is, we started this live stream with what? He enters into Capernaum. Whoop, right in your head. Where is, where is his house? It constantly, Aries, arise, arose, that sort of thing. It's all about up here. This is all about the fact that Christ is within you right now. And then said, well, believe ye that I am able to do this? They said unto him, yes, Lord, yes, I believe. And he touched her eyes and saying, according to you, in faith. Boom. Now you can see. You're blind. Now you can see. You had palsy. Now you're healed. Oh, she was sleeping. No, she's not sleeping. Or she's she's dead. No, she's sleeping. Ah, ha, ha. Laugh you to scorn. Then she awakes, right? So what is this? All things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I can do all things through Christ. This is self-empowerment. Can you do that? Can you do it? Well, by yourself, no. No, you can't, because you can't do anything without God. You employ Christ in this and believe in the principle, the this, this eternal spark of God that was, exists within you, then what? You're going to arise and walk on your own two fucking feet. And once again, every step of the way, who's going to be with you? Who's the eternal present? Christ. It's unbelievably empowering. And their eyes were opened and Jesus straightly charged them saying, See that no man know it. Again, again, read that. And their eyes were opened. Christ Christ came to them in this sort of sense, healed their sickness. They were blind now that they can see. And what happens? He straightly charged them, straightly charged them, charged saying, don't you tell anybody. <laughs> tell no man, tell no one. And he charged them that they should tell no man. This is various places in the Bible where Jesus says specifically to keep a secret. Don't tell anybody. And he sent them away to the house saying, neither go into the town nor tell it to anyone in the town. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. And he said, they came down from the mountain. He charged them that they should tell no man what they had seen. Don't tell anybody. Why? Why? Once again, people, people rip on masonry because they keep secrets. They're just actually listening to what, what Jesus said. Right? Number one, when you keep a secret, what do you do? You entice people. It's one of the great things about uh, about the mystery tradition that they understand very well. That if you say, oh, I got, it's just like with a child. It's like, oh, I've got this thing over here, but, um, and you'd really like it, but I can't show it to you. What do you think the child's going to do? I want to see that shit. What happens during Christmas when parents like hide gifts and stuff like that? A lot of children will what? I want to see what I'm going to get. There's this always this thing about in the mystery school tradition, which is what what we teach Gnosticism actually is, is is all about keeping something. Number one, not to hide it from somebody or conceal it or keep it away, is to entice them to get it more. That's what it's all about. That's why he's saying, don't tell anybody. Don't say that. Don't don't say that. No, there's another one. Why say it to no man? Well, because. If you're going to go speak to a normie, are they going to understand anything you have to say? No. This is why I can't be friends with literally anybody I used to be friends with. I can't talk to anybody. 
They think I'm fucking crazy. Meanwhile, you know, and it's like, fine, that's fine. But I can't, I, I have to completely censor my entire being in order for you to handle anything that comes out of my mouth. Well, at some point, what happens? You got to let it go. You know? So, I have no problem speaking ab about this, but because I know that there's a very slim amount of people that actually watch this these services. So, <laughs> anyway. Um, so, but then they were departed, spread... Uh, ooh, I'm sorry. Um, da -da -da. I want to make sure I didn't miss anything. Yes, okay. So, it said, uh, no man, right? So, tell nobody. Okay. But then, but they, when they departed, spread abroad his fame in all that country. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with the devil. Once again, he was possessed with the devil. Oh, he's going to be, uh, you know, this exorcism in this sort of sense, right? He's going to be, just like Mary had the seven devils, Jesus came in and cleaned the seven devils. What are those seven devils? At least metaphorically, we can say what? This is seven energy centers in your body. What's up with them? Oh, they, they were impure. And then Jesus comes in, enters into the head, goes straight down and all the way up, arises, aries, arose, and cleans the whole thing along the way. New spiritual body. You're not trying to go put on those pants that you had in high school. You're never going to fit into them, fatty, okay? You're spiritually fat now. It's, it's a good thing. So when they went out, behold, they, bought, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with the devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake. Right? So just another story of Jesus performing his miracles, healing, spiritual healing. And the multitudes marveled, saying again, ah, so great, so great. It was never so seen in Israel. Shit, man, you're never going to find any of this actual healing in Israel. With those scribes and Pharisees and their chosen boy status and their we got the thing and we're scribbling the stuff down and it's all in the book. You ain't going to fucking find it there. Not going to find it there then. Not going to find it there today. Because wherefore ye think evil in your hearts. I can see, You don't even have to say a word and I can see your sickness, your illness, how blind you are. How lost you are. How desperately in need of a shepherd you are. Then the shepherd shows up and you rejected him. We're going to get into that right now. Ah, oh, the very thing that they wanted shows up and they reject him. Never going to see it in Israel. Never going to see. But the Pharisees said, he casteth out. This is what the Pharisees said. All of these multitudes, they saw it. They saw the things that he did and they went abroad. They're telling everybody, dude, this guy's legit. This guy has integrity and dignity. Speaking truth out of every pore of his being just flows out this divine thing. Right? The Pharisees saw this and what do they say? He casteth out devils through the prince of devils. He's demonic. What are they doing? Rejection. They rejected the very thing that they needed, the very thing that was going to bring them spiritual enlightenment, the very thing that was going to cleanse their being. They rejected it. Not only that, they're like, they not only reject it, but they called it demonic. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues. We'll get to that. And preaching the gospel of the kingdom, the dome. The, the, the gospel, God's story, if you will. And healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Okay, so what do we have here? The Pharisees, this is the point of this live stream. This live stream is called 
enlightenment is not what you thought it was. It's not what you thought it was. What you have right here is all of a sudden the Pharisees and the scribes, they were pining, waiting for their Savior to show up. Oh, Elijah, Elijah, we're going to keep the seed at cedar and you're going to show up and it's, you're going to just praise us and we're going to be the good boys. And they want their, they're desperate for their Messiah. Then their Messiah shows up and it was nothing like they thought. There's nothing like they thought. And what did they do? They rejected him. This happens all the time. This happens all the time in the truth community. You can't handle the truth. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. I eat breakfast from 300 yards away from 4,000 Cubans trained to shoot me. You know, that, that whole thing. Those on a false spiritual path will reject what they cannot handle. I'm, I, I, I'm seeing this happen right now. Right now. Well, I mean, you don't really need the stars. In a, wait, well, why did God make all of that sort of stuff? Why did God make the entire cosmos so you could ignore it and not know anything about it? That's not part of the spiritual thing. It's not this over here. It's not this over here. Oh, you mean I'm going to have to learn a little math? You mean God, you know, what's, I'm going to have to know what's literally right in front of me? No, that's a, that math doesn't have anything to do with, math and geometry doesn't have anything to do with spiritual enlightenment. You know, going into a, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So what will happen, and you'll see this all the time, and uh, Dr. Jason actually just made the point in the Telegram group. He's literally talked about this, and this is what I was going to talk about today. I mentioned this yesterday, about you'll get people that they can't handle certain things, right? It challenges their worldview. It challenges what they think. It challenges the core of what their, their spiritual knowledge is, alleged spiritual knowledge. And so what did they do? Instead of being like, well, maybe I should learn some more. Maybe I do need to rethink that. Maybe I need to step back and do, do a, a solid critique of what I'm, I'm thinking and, and that sort of thing. And, and uh, you know, uh, that sort of thing. No, they don't do that. This happens all the time. I can't handle it, so I'll reject it. You don't need to know that. That's not important. I say it like this. You, you know, you can't always get what you want. You get what you need. So, Enlightenment is not what you thought it was. What a spiritual awakening. A lot of times people want a spiritual awakening. What they, they see on the top there is like, oh, you just sit and you go into this meditation and you go into this seals place and, and it's all there and stuff like that. I'm not saying that's not important. We'll do a whole live stream on meditation, meditation techniques, how important that sort of stuff is. But that's not it. That's not the whole thing. Okay? People think a spiritual awakening is like that top. But what it really is is it'll, it'll, it'll shudder you to the core of your fucking being. It'll make you question everything, everything. Who you are, where you are, the nature of this place, what the cosmos is. For, for instance, do you know what a, a spiritual awakening came for a lot of people? I'm not saying that this is, oh, this is the oh, this is the pinnacle of spiritual awakening or anything like that. No, it's a step along the way, but you have to live in truth. And we know that that thing on the left there, being the globe, ain't fucking truth. We could argue about what the thing, this plane or whatever we live in, that's fine. But we know the thing on the left, that's spinning 23.4 degree, spinning counterclockwise thing that's whipping through the galaxy and all this other shit, that's wholesale nonsense. So, spiritual awakening, most people, you know, it's like, oh, my spiritual awakening is when I connected to the cosmos and all the galaxies and out there. And really what it, a spiritual awakening is, holy shit, Am I going to have to go out into public and say that I'm a flat earther knowing 
that that's going to get me a ton of shit, that I'll lose friends, that people are going to speak in little murmurings in, in, in private about how fucking stupid Marty Leeds is. My God, that's going to that's gonna cause a lot of anxiety and all that sort of stuff. Is that part of your spiritual awakening? You bet your ass because it's truth. That doesn't come to you with a nice little fluffy bunny with freaking angel tears and riding a unicorn with on a, you know, on a rainbow cloud. No. What, 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 you know, a spiritual awakening can come and challenge you to the core of your being and then it requires you not only to challenge it, but then go out and be bold and speak it. I didn't know I was going to have to learn a little math in my spiritual awakening. I didn't know counting was going to be part of this. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Because God wants you to know what's right in front of you. God wants you to know those things. Otherwise, he wouldn't have put it there. A lot of people want their spiritual awakening to come in the form of an Eckhart Tolle. They want this really soft, spoken guy. And, and let me just say this. A lot of these guys, even in Eckhart Tolle, I will say 70% of what this guy says, I there's, you know, I don't want to say 70 because it's not like I read his books and things like that. I've, I've heard enough of Tolle, though, to, to know that this guy, I mean, he's highlighted on fucking Oprah Winfrey. Do you really think Oprah Winfrey is going to have, when's the last time you saw Oprah Winfrey like uh, talking about <laughs> how the, the Bible is, uh, you know, a, a star study and that the myths of the world are all based on the patterns of the stars above and, you know, uh, Gematria and Kabbalah. Do you really think Oprah Winfrey is talking about any of that shit? But Oprah Winfrey will have on an Eckhart Tolle. A lot of people want their spiritual awakening to come in a soft little fuzzy man smiling and being here now. That's not a spiritual awakening. Now, I will say this, 60, maybe 70% of what Eckhart Tolle says, well, it's good. I, you know, I could get behind that. That's what New Agers do all the time, guys. That's what New Agers do all the time. They'll give you 70, maybe even 80% good shit. And then the rest, the 20%, will be fluff, not, not giving you any understanding about what's in front of you, what's above you, where you are. Eckhart Tolle's not going to say any of that stuff. Do you really think that Eckhart Tolle is going to do what Jesus Christ did and go into the very synagogues and call out the Jews? Do you really think Eckhart Tolle or any of these New Age people that are full of shit are ever going to call out Satan worshipers? Is, are you ever going to hear Eckhart Tolle say, guys, look, man, NASA's lying. You know, flat earth is uh, where, where it's at. The globe earth is absolute nonsense. Science is scientism. No. No, he's going to say a bunch of fluff and things that sound really nice that go softly into your ear holes and massage them and massage you into going nowhere. I call it, you know, guys like this, I call it the Eckhart Tolle Bridge to nowhere. You're paying the toll. The Eckhart Tolle Bridge, that's going to lead you to nowhere. People want, they thought enlightenment was going to come in the form of that sage ascended master, you know, he's got the, or maybe he's got a long beard or, you know, that sort of stuff. No, that's not how enlightenment comes. Enlightenment comes and shudders you to the core of your being, then requires you to be a warrior. What about the Dalai Lama? What about the good old Dalai Lama? How many people? 
millions and millions of people. Now, I always thought this guy was a creep. I remember I read a Dalai Lama book when I was way young, when I was first getting into religious stuff. Like, I did the whole dance. I went to Eckhart Tolle. I went to, like, you know, like some of the quantum stuff and the Dalai Lama just to see what you, you know. And I tell you what, the Dalai Lama never, never impressed me, right? Million, look at all these people. Oh, they're bowing to this fucking jackass. This guy, he's sitting around reading Carl Sagan's Billions and Billions and thinking he's intelligent. This guy still thinks he's on a spinning ball. This guy promoted the vax. But yet thousands, millions of people around the world, like he's spiritually enlightened, man. He's spiritually enlightened. He's, in fact, he's called his holiness, the Dalai Lama. Number one, if somebody's going around being like, uh, yes, I'm the holiness. Could you imagine if I said, from now on, you're going to call me... Um, his Holiness, the brother Marty Leeds. That's what you're going to, that's what you're going to call me. <laughs> it sounds retarded even saying that, right? It's like, no, we actually have, sp we're spiritually uh, equal. We all have the divine spark within us. There's, I'm no, I'm no more holy than you are in this sort of sense, right? This guy literally has the moniker of like, or the, you know, the Holiness, the Dalai Lama. Okay. Well, we just saw what the Dalai Lama did, right? And by the way, this the the media did not cover this. Oh, and the, the, you can see the boy is watch this. The boy is like really uncomfortable. Right. The media didn't cover this until it went viral. Then the media covered it, probably because they had to. And suck my tongue. <laughs> now, okay, I don't think we need to see enough of that. Now, we actually, Jennifer and I were watching uh, some YouTube last night. We actually saw Teal Swan making an excuse for this. Because it's like, well, you just don't understand the culture and all this other stuff. You mean like oral circumcision too, Teal? Do we not understand that either? The boy was extremely uncomfortable. Could you imagine if I, next year we're going to hold a conference. It's going to be called the Nasty Church and Academy uh, of Conference of 2024. And we're all going to go down to Bobby 96's places in a his place in Ava, Missouri. And we're going to hold a festival there, right? And I'm going to get everybody there. And next thing you know, I, c I come out and I'm wearing all robes and shit like that. And then I'm like, I'm like, oh, everybody, you need to refer to me as His Holiness, the Brother Marty Leeds, Right? And then I sit there and I'm like, to the children, I'm like, oh, I'm going to stick out my tongue and suck it. What would you guys do? I can only imagine it would be, it would be Mark Brotherson, John Vina, and, and Bobby96 would be beating my ass. Rightfully so. I'd get pistol whipped by John Vina. Rightfully so. Because it's sick. This is who these people are. If you're making an excuse for that, when that boy was clearly uncomfortable, because it's a cultural thing, you're an asshole. Okay? People want their spiritual enlightenment to look like the Dalai Lama. That's not how it comes. That's not how it comes. The Jews did the same thing. And this is what this is all about. The Jews were like, oh, our Savior's coming. Oh, Messiah, Messiah, you're going to show up. And you're going to just be like, oh, you guys are just so awesome. And they wanted their Messiah to look like Shmuley Yanklevitz there. Freaking Goldberg, Goldberg, Cohen, and Wolf there. Okay, that's what the Jews thought that their savior was going to look like when he showed up. Then he shows up and what? Oh, nothing like we thought. Oh, God, he's calling us out all day long. He's literally being like, 
what what does he say? Oh, Jesus shows up and he's like, oh yeah, um, you are of your father, the devil. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue. Where did Jews, where where did Jews worship? Okay, cool. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they're Jews and are not, but do lie. Jesus, or um, in John, Jesus actually, a point of reference here, not going to go into that right now, but a point of reference that Jesus actually redefines what a Jew is. A Jew is uh, a circumcision of the heart, not of the flesh. So they say they're Jews. They're not Jews. They're not circumcising that heart. They're not cutting all the bullshit of this world around, cutting all of that out and just maintaining that pure heart of Christ. Year of your father, the devil, he says. And the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in truth because there's no truth in him. And that's who you're worshiping. So Shmuley Yanklevitz there was like, oh, I got the scribes. I'm, I'm scribbling the stuff down. And when he shows up, he is just going to applaud me and love me. And we're all just going to be whisked right up to heaven or whatever the hell it is they think. Then he shows up. Nothing like you thought. People want an Eckhart Tolle. They want this nice little fluffy thing to show up in their life and then I'm spiritually awakened. That's not how it works. Jesus even shows this, right? Jesus did not come as some, oh, just total being of light. That's just, oh, that sort of thing. No, man. He got aggressive. Just look at what he's saying here. Before we get into this, look what he's saying. He's like, oh, I know you. You're of the synagogue of Satan, you devil worshipers. Your father's the devil. Whoa. He was a murderer. Wait, I thought this was like the way, the truth of the life. Isn't he supposed to be all soft and coming in and with a unicorn? You know, the effervescence of him is just like flowery and stuff. No, that's not what showed up, did it? No, Jesus went into... Let's let's talk about a few of the things that Jesus did. Right from this chapter, it says what? We talked about this before. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, breaking Jewish law. He was a lawbreaker. He was a rebel. He did the very thing that you're not supposed to do, right? He's going into the, uh, 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 the place of worship of who he's calling Satan worshipers literally devil worshipers and he's teaching the truth can you imagine how they dealt with him well we know how they dealt with him we, we're gonna get to that part of the story too so <laughs> so think about this he didn't come as some soft speaking Eckhart Tolle no not at all he went into their synagogues and is like you guys are devil worshipers he went in and taught on the Sabbath when you're just supposed to let your Shabbos Goy do all the stuff, right? That sort of thing. The Gentiles didn't work for you. He went in and taught, healed people. There was a, there was a line where he goes and takes the disciples when you're not supposed to work and he goes picks corn, which I can only imagine he's doing just to be like this. <laughs> what about when he tipped the money money tables over the, right? the, the money changers in the temple? Lower left-hand corner there. Does that, does that look like a nice, oh, Swami Vamakananda, this guy, Eckhart Tolle, kind of freaking, you know, sage guru, master zen. No, man. He's got a fucking whip in his hand. He's tipping over tables being like, you guys are devil worshipers. He takes a walk with the devil up to the high place. He walked with Satan goes into the synagogues and teaches on the day that he's not supposed to, teaching the very things he's not supposed to, breaking the law and pissing off 
everybody along the way, all the people that, of course, reject him. This is what a spiritual awake, this is how Jesus showed up. And the, and the churches are not teaching you this. So, this is what so many people on the left, especially like Orthodox and shit like that, and Catholic and all these other things, this on the left there, that's what, that's what they wanted spiritual enlightenment to look like. It was going to come in this really well, you know, just no anger, no aggression. You know, obviously he doesn't doesn't drink or anything like that. He shows up and is soft spoken. That's not what showed up at all. So what you wanted spiritual enlightenment to look like, what spiritual enlightenment actually looks like. You know who that on the right there is? That's Raging Dissident. That's Jeremy McKenzie. Now, I was going to do this whole live stream and basically talk about <laughs> Talk about how raging now. Raging dissonant is a guy that he curses. He like you know he's he's been known to drink too much that sort of stuff, right? But what this guy is is full pedal to the fucking metal, one hundred percent integrity and dignity, honest, genuine. That guy on the left there is full of shit. You're never gonna see raging dissonant wear some gold. There's nothing wrong with form. There's or there's nothing wrong with being formal or having dressed like that. There's nothing wrong with that. But if all you are is the outside and inside you're a ravening wolf, then that shit doesn't mean anything. On the left there. On the right though, there's a guy with a microphone, and you know, censored to hell, kicked off all sorts of platforms, went to war for his country, came back, went to prison for his country, and he got out of prison. He was in solitary confinement because I think, the, uh, I, don't quote me, but I think they allege that he stole, him and his girl stole $40 worth of gas or some shit like that. He was in solitary confinement for a spell. Comes out, do you think he shut his mouth? No, he just got bolder. <laughs> just started speaking more. Got more inspired. The people on the left there, what did they do? During the COVIDians of the 19s, we've already covered this. What did they do? Get the jibbities. It's what God told us. What did Raging Dissidents say the entire time? Well, if you followed along, he had some choice words. <laughs> so, so uh, this is Raging Dissident calling out. Now, remember who was behind the, 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 the jibbity jabs? Who are, the, who are the companies that were behind that? Would they be considered scribes and Pharisees? Who did not call them out when it came time to it? The Orthodox, the Catholics, the Protestants, pretty much any of them. They didn't call it out. What did Raging Dissident do? Called it out all day long. He's calling them out here. How many, this, this man went to, I think, the Iraq War and saw his brothers die. Saw horrors that will never, you and I will probably never fucking see in our life. And what did it do? Inspired him more. This man has been to hell and back. And coming out of hell, what does he do? I'm going to call out the devil. He doesn't, certainly not an Eckhart Tolle. One of, in my opinion, this man here, Raging Dissident, is more enlightened than the entirety of Orthodox. This is what he said. How many battalions did our greatest ally being Israel? You know, you're not going to see no faith there. We're not going to see anything like what Christ is doing in Israel. How many battalions did our greatest ally deploy to Afghanistan, Iraq? How many people did Israel send to die? How many of Raging Dissident's brothers died? 
Maybe it's just me, but I feel like I was fighting for my life and my supposed best friend, if, excuse me, maybe it's just me, but I feel like if I was fighting for my life, which he was, and my supposed best friend, our greatest ally Israel, just stood there and watched literally from the back porch, that's probably not your best friend or a friend at all. So now let's go to all these new agers and stuff like that, that so many people or whatever, they think that this is what enlightenment looks like. Are they calling any of this shit out? No, because they're not enlightened. You're not going to see Raging Dissident highlighted on fucking Oprah. USA was there, UK showed up, Germany, France, Spain, Denmark, hell, even Portugal had a unit with us, with him in Kandahar. Where was Israel? Letting the goyim die? Someone who stood the to who stood the most to benefit from their regional enemies being systematically destroyed by one by one. Israel had the most to benefit from it. They didn't even show up. Ain't that strange? Where's Shania Murti talking about this stuff? Oh no, Shania Murti's probably a anyway. So as I was going to talk about this and highlight Raging Dissident, he posted a video this morning called Hell and Back. And I was basically saying, this is what the hero's journey is all about. You go through hell. You go through things that rip apart everything that you think you know and all of that stuff. And then if you're, if you're a warrior, an actual spiritually enlightened being, you put that shit back together in this sense, right? This man has been to hell and back, seen his brother die. Did he lose his spirit? No, no, he's, he's undergoing or underwent or undergoing the hero's journey. There's Jeremy McKenzie right there. He went down as, as he, he signed up with the military because he's like, I'm going to protect my country. I'm going to do the good thing and make some money. And then, you know, that sort of thing. Then he went in and all of those illusions, all of those, you know, disillusions, whatever, but they all got washed away, right? All of those faulty notions and all that stuff that he had in his head where he thought that he was doing the right thing. And then all of a sudden, reality shows up. Christ shows up in this sense, right? The truth shows up. And how did, how did it show up? Well, he went through hell. He went right through that fucking hell that we always talk about and shows up on the other side and being like, you got nothing. I'm ready to die now because I'm not scared. That's what a spiritual enlightenment and a spiritual awakening actually looks like. So I saw that video of Helen Back this morning. I was going to talk about this, and then I just saw this literally seven hours ago. It was posted, right? And so my reply was this. Pay attention, people, and go listen to it. It's like eight minutes. I was going to play it, but anyway. Pay attention, people. This is what an actual sermon looks and sounds like. Any church that can't deliver a message like this is a cuck to the devil, 501c3, government-run spiritual whorehouse, or like as we like to call it on this channel, they're the spiritual chop shops. They take your spiritual body and just freaking hack it to bits and don't give you any understanding. Don't help you understand who the enemy is. Don't help you understand who, you know, where God is. Doesn't help you understand your cosmology. Doesn't, none of it. They don't help you understand anything. You go to a Catholic church and you're just going to, you know, feel bad all the time. So the Dalai Lama sticks his tongue out for little boys and you got people across the world being like, you know, giving them, oh, well, you know, you have to understand it in the cultural... No, I fucking don't. No, I don't. I can call that as creepy as it is, as just as my eyes see it. Would you see me do that? If I did, please leave this church. Burn my books. Leave this place. Because I'm full of shit. 
Luckily, I'm not going to do that, so don't worry. The Dalai Lama sticks out his tongue for little boys and is an enlightened figure by millions. Raging Dissident sticks his tongue out the entire establishment, the media, the government, goes to prison, goes to war, sticks his tongue out for the father of lies himself. Who's more enlightened? The Dalai Lama or Jeremy Raging Dissident McKenzie? I know who I'm going to go into the foxhole with. You have my sword, Rage. Dalai Lama, you don't get shit from me. Gnosis is all about knowing. It's all about knowing. No, no, it's just a joke here. Just having a laugh. But no, no, Gnosis, Gnosis. The Gnosis. See the fanatics up there? See the fanatics? It's a little joke, but... Uh, Gnosis is all about esoteric knowledge of spiritual truth held by Gnostics to be essential to salvation. That's true. You need to know what God wants of us. You need to, we need to know everything about as much as we can about our world so we can be in total alignment with God. That's what Gnosticism is all about. In fact, I had, I just heard somebody say, oh, there's a difference. You, they, they just all pursue knowledge for just knowledge and, and then there's obedience to God. Actual true Gnosis Actual true knowledge will lead you to an obedience to God. That's what it's all about. So the Gnostic knows and knows this, the Gnosis. <laughs> Hits truth right on the nose. Isn't scared to call it out. Take me, for instance. Now, I'm not, once again, not patting myself on the back or trying to put myself above anybody else or anything like that, but I am a Christian minister, and I'm extremely dedicated to what it is I do. I love what it is I do. I wrote a 550-page book on Lord Jesus Christ, and not a year later, I wrote an entire book about how this, you know, the stars in the sky are, are telling the same stories of the Bible and all of that sort of stuff. I show up as a Christian minister, but I'm not what people thought. Oh, you got this guy, he's short, he's, he gets a little aggressive, you know, he can really, you know, he can throw a fuck bomb around, he can throw an F-bomb like a motherfucker, right? He's, uh, you know, uh, doesn't doesn't do any of the traditional things that all the, all enlightened people do, right? And I show up and we run in unbelievable, I did not, in this sense, that what people thought a good Christian should be, I actually show up and bring enormous clarity to all of these topics, whether it's mathematics and geometry or the stars above or even the spiritual message that is combined, you know, that, you know that's within these, these verses in the book, bring unbelievable clarity to people with, this, with these topics to the point where people will be like, oh my Lord, right? But I didn't, I don't look anything like this guy, right? Whatever it was, um, you know, this, this guy on the left there, right? I don't look anything like, I don't sound like him. What, what most Christians want is they want that guy to show up. Well, that guy's not going to teach you shit. That guy's not going to give you any insights into your world, the lies of this world, who is lying to you. They're going to tell you, you know, we prayed on it, and the best thing for you to do is go get the jibbity jabs by a bunch of people that are literally antichrists. So, I don't look anything like Oh, but Marty, you get a little aggressive and you curse and stuff like that. Yes, I fucking do. And you know what else I do? Walk right into that temple with a whip and tip over the money ta the tables and call it out. And so would Raging Dissident. Enlightenment. 
isn't what you think it is. Didn't come as you thought it would. Another thing that happens is you have to go against the world a lot of times. Meaning that you're going to, meaning this, that when you come to these, the truth and things like that, this is why, and we'll, we'll visit this at the very end here. When you come to truth, a lot of times it is going to, and we'll cover this when we do Matthew 10, because Jesus talks directly about this, specifically about this, is that it is going to cause division in your life. Not because you're trying to be antagonistic or anything like that, but because, as Jesus is saying, don't tell anybody. Because those people there that are just following, listening to the news and the media and everything like that, that do not are not focused on their spiritual life, they're walking the wide path right to the devil. And you're going to have to walk against that. You're going to have to, a lot of times, quote-unquote, stand alone. Are you going to really be standing alone, though? No, you're not. No, you're not. Because who's going to be there with you? Christ. That's hard. That's a hard thing to do. How many people I've lost, it hurts my heart too. I've lost because I have to do what it is I do because I have to honor truth. I have to be in alignment with Christ. And I know doing that is going to what? It's going to get people to be like, oh, fuck him, what an idiot. Oh, well. Oh, well. I don't care. Don't care at all. All right. Let's finish this baby off. Okay. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they, they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Jesus had compassion. When you take up your cross and follow him, what do you, what do you have to do? Have compassion. Compassion in this world. Look upon the people being like, oh, I'm not going to hate you. I'm not going to curse you. I'm not going to, that sort of thing. I'm going to get annoyed with you. I'm going to call a spade a spade. I'm going to call a bullshit. But I'm not going to, you know, hate your inner being or anything like that because I know that you're just a sheep without a shepherd. Then he says this, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Think about that. The harvest. When you get the harvest, it's like, you know, it's like in, in October when all those boys... Up in Northern California, October, you know, I don't know when they actually do their harvest, but they get their harvest. And next thing you know, they've got weeds stacked to the freaking ceiling. It's that kind of thing. It's like, oh my Lord, look at this harvest. There's so much. I could be high for days or whatever, months, years, whatever it is, right? That sort of thing. Um, probably not the best analogy to use, but that's okay. So so the harvest is truly is plenteous. There's when, when you come to Christ, it's like, it's just everywhere. But who's doing it? The laborers are few. There's not many. It's one dude out of 10,000 there that's going to get that harvest. And he also says the laborers are few. What is the labor that he's doing? This is the great work. This is the great work. It requires work. Yes, it does. Do you think you can just come down here and not do anything and then just next thing you know, you're just going to be whisked away up into heaven? That's not what Christ is saying at all. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. The Lord will send forth laborers. What's the Lord? It's right in here. We'll get to that in just a second. Okay. So what Jesus is talking about here is the great work. The laborers. It requires labor. It requires you to work. You don't get to just Whisk yourself up to Mount Everest without doing anything. 
The gray work, Latin magnum opus, is an alchemical term for the process of working with the prima materia to create the philosopher's stone. We talked a lot about that. Of course, we can see that there's an illustration of the great work. What is it? Oh, you've got two serpents going up a spinal column, and you've got he's standing on the wings, rising into heaven. Um, you know, this is uh, he's got the sun and the moon there. You know, the whole bit is so. We've covered all that, and we just covered that in Easter service. The great work signifies the spiritual path towards self-transcendence in its entirety. This is literally just comes from Wikipedia, but it's true. Okay. This is the process of bringing unconscious complexes into the conscious awareness in order to integrate them back into oneself. Um, you know, this, uh, let's, let's, let's do this. This is what we just talked about last Easter. This is the great work. This is what Jesus was undergoing. Okay. This is what, this is what Matthew was worked for the frickin' IRS. And now he's preaching Christ. Paul was killing off, you know, you know, persecuting Christians and stuff like that. Then he did that 180. He did a 180 and what? Now he became one of the greatest prophets of all time. He went from the fool to the world. He went from the rough ashlar stone for the perfect ashlar stone. He went from the lead into the gold. He had the, they, they had the lost Masonic word. They recovered the Masonic word. Okay. So, then this is what it's all about. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. I will show my faith to... I don't have to go and hump a Bible. Be a Bible thumper and constantly, you know, do this holier than thou. I am a good Christian boy because I do the things here and stuff like that. Show me it. Don't speak. Show me. Actions speak louder than words. Once again, which one showed it to you? The guy on the left? No. He didn't show shit. When the devil showed up, he went and cowered. They shut their doors. Raging Dissident went to prison, went to war. When he went to war, then he came back and he's like, well, that was bullshit. I'm going to let everybody know my brothers and sisters are not going to be dying for a bunch of people that think we're cattle. And I'm going to speak loud and I'm going to speak proud. Show me your faith by your works. Otherwise, I don't give a shit what you have to say. Flap your trap all day long. Speak about, Hi, I'm Christly. I don't care. And God doesn't care. Show it. Show it. Let's read from Pike again. I love this. We're going to read it. This is probably the third time I've read this in the last like month and a half. Masonry does not occupy itself with crying down this world with its splendid beauty, its thrilling interests, its glorious works, its noble and holy affections, nor exhort us to detach our hearts from this earthly life. It's empty, fleeting, and unworthy, and fix them upon heaven as the only sphere deserving the love of the loving or the meditation of the wise. It teaches, masonry teaches, that man has high duties to perform here and a high destiny to fulfill on this earth, that this world is, that you have a great work to do, in other words, a great work to do down here, and that this world is not merely the portal to another and that this life, though not our only one, is an integral one and the particular one with which we are meant to be here concerned, that the present, who is in the present? Christ. Christ. That the present is our scene of action and the future for speculation and for trust 
and man was set upon the earth to live in it, to enjoy it, to study it, to love it, to embellish it, to make the most of it. He is sent into this world not to be constantly hankering after, dreaming of preparing for another, but to do his duty and fulfill his destiny on earth, to do the great work here. To, to just as Christ said, the power on earth to forgive sins, correct? Yes. To do all that lies in his power, to improve it, to render it a scene of elevated happiness to himself, to those around him, to those, to those who are to come after him. You do work here, not for yourself, but for the people that come after you. His life here is part of his immortality, and this world is also among the stars, which means we are enshrouded by heaven itself. Now, Matthew, this is the great work. This is specifically, we're going to do some math, okay? The end of Matthew, we're going to do some math. This is the last line, and it says this, Matthew 9, 38, Pray, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Got to send forth those laborers to do the great work, to do the work that you need to do down here. Let's do some math. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth his laborers into his harvest. This is what it says. What does that equal? See what that equals down there? 361. Do you guys remember 361? You know how many times we've covered this number? Let's do it again. 361. First off, it is it is the the um, the Greek gematria equivalent of logos. I mean, excuse the monad. Excuse me, monad. Logos is 373. Monad. Monad. M O N A D. There, I think it's monus. But anyway, uh, the symbol. This equals 361. So the monad, which is what? A circle and a dot in the center. We'll, we'll cover that again. The symbol for oneness was understood by the ancient geometricians to be the monad, or the circle with the dot in the center of it. And this is, this is created with a compass. That's it. The symbol is easily created by simply piercing a page with a compass and swinging the arm around 360 degrees. As quoted from A Beginner's Guide to Constructing the Universe, which every single one of you, if you're part of this church, should have that on your bookshelf. To the ancient mathematical philosophers, the circle symbolized the number one, the wholeness. Wholeness, right? Isn't that what we just covered? They knew it was the source of all subsequent shapes, the womb in which all the geometric patterns develop. The Greek term for the principles represented by the circle was the monad. It's in the alphanumeric correspondences of the Greeks, the, letter of the letters of the word monad add up to 361, which I have right there. The system allows for a difference of one, the rule of Kolel, as we've covered. So the word for oneness becomes 360. Not coincidentally, also this is the number of degrees around a full circle. So really what it is is what? 360 and what? One. You. The medieval geometers contemplated the compass as an abstract symbol of the eye of God. So... Let's do this again. So the monad in the Greek alphanumeric equals 361. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth his labors into his harvest equals 361. We've actually found this in other places in the Bible. I remember when there was the parable of the seeds and the and these seeds fell by the wayside and others got choked up here and then others were eaten by some fowls of the air and all this other stuff, right? And then there was some, there was some of these seeds that fell on the good ground. <laughs> fell on the good ground. What's the good ground? You in here, 
and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30, some 60, and some 100. This equals 190. Break those numbers down, though. 30, 3, 6, right? Uh, 60, 6, 101, 3, 6, 1. Why is this important? We'll get to 190 in a second, but, well, 190 is the 19th triangular number. So in other words, if you add 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. You get to 19, you add those numbers up, it equals 190. That's exactly what they're giving you there. 19 squared is 361. We've already covered this. Just this will be a review. The monad of 361 and the Kabbalistic Tree of Life. This is where the, 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 the splits in the Tree of Life are. You can even see it on the left there. You've got the ones that are atop his head, right? And you can even see they're given distinctions there. There's the three. It's like a, a Trinitarian kind of thing there, the top three. Then you got the ones that are surrounding his body. And those are, you can even see there's like distinctions there. They're just sort of white with the names. And then he's got the one on below that's you know, that he's standing on. And once again, you get a, there's a distinction there. So this is literally three, six, one. This is your Kabbalistic tree of life. Once again, why does Jesus always like, I'm going to touch you with the hands, the hands, the hands, healing you with the hands. This is a reference to the vigesimal system. Zero through 19 is your 10 piggies up here and your 10 piggies down there. It's the whole being, the whole body. Zero through 19, you add that up, it's 190. That's exactly what you're given here. 30, 60, 100. Break those down. 3, 6, 1, 190. That leads you to what? 19. 19 triangular numbers, 190. And 19 times 19 is 361. Now, everybody get that. Leads you to your hands and your feet. Leads you to the Kabbalistic tree of life. Leads you to one of the most important parables, at least as far as I'm concerned, one of the great parables that Jesus told. Leads you right to the symbol of the monad. Correct? 361. This is all of the gematria involved in this last line. Now, what is the monad? It's the representation of the Lord and God. Now, you could... You could, you know, this is not, this is metaphorical in this sort of sense. There's not anything literal about this, but what this is what symbolism is, right? So the, the Lord within you and the God above. Now you could, once again, switch those. You can see the God above and the Lord down on earth in this sort of sense. But this is what the, this is what the monad is. 361, they gave this. And what is it referring to? The Lord that's within you. Where's Christ. We started this whole thing. It was the first verse. It's like, and he came into a city. City is the pole, by the way. It's the polis. It's the pole of the human being, the, this sort of thing. Came into the city, the captain on the head. The place of repentance. Cleansed the vessel. And there you go. There's your equality with God. Remember in the Bible it says, he uh, says something to the effect of, God, I, had the, I wish I had the verse, but it's like that there was no problem that they that sought to be equal with God. Well, what does that mean? What, is, what does that mean esoterically? It means that this spark in here and this spark over there within that person and the spark over there within that person is all what? Equal under the eye, the all-seeing eye of God. This is really what... Um, so when we talk about going within to see Christ, right? Well, the monad actually tells us, just as the Bible tells us, it's all over. It's in all things. Literally everywhere. Abound. 
right? Abound in all things. Everywhere you look. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close my eyes and look in. Right? Okay, it's going to be there. Then I look out, it's there too. Everywhere. Literally every, everywhere and everything. This is the message of the monad. You go within to the monad. You go into the center of yourself in the monad. You discover that Lord. That's tied to the God above. You remember the God that's outside of the, the entire, beyond categorization, beyond divisions, beyond, 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 beyond? That's what we're talking about. That thing is linked, that Lord is linked to the God. This is actually the key message of the Zodiac Man. Okay? This is the key message of the Zodiac Man. When you look out, you're looking in. When you look in, you're looking out because there is no separation. This is why Jesus is called the Holy One of God. This is why they're giving you the mathematics to the to the monad to let you know you're united. You look out there. You're not looking at something separate. You're looking at something that's a part of you. This is as above, so below, so within, so without. This is one of the great the great revelations of the mystic. This is what the zodiac man is all about. It's the key message of the zodiac man. Why in the world? Why in the hell? Do you have a bunch of star patterns up there placed onto the human body? Internally, in this sort of sense. Your heart and your the throat in here and your third eye and all that sort of stuff, right? What what What's going on? It's because when you look out and you realize that you're a reflection of the whole thing and that God is there is no separation in this sort of sense with God, then what? You're looking in. Out in. In out. So you get ascended masters and say, oh, you just have to go in. You just have to go. It's all about going in, shutting out the outside world and going within. Okay, cool. Yeah, I totally agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what happens when you go in? This is in the Lord's Prayer. On earth. No, no, no. Excuse me. doesn't say that in the AKJV. In earth as it is in heaven. That's what it says. This is the Lord's Prayer. And it says, in earth, in the earthen vessel, as it is up there, you go in, you're out. Do you know what the you know what this Lord God thing is? That's 361, that's found. Ah, we it's literally on our hands and feet. Ah, it's literally in the, the, the Kabbalistic tree of life. It's literally the key mathematics that they give you in the parable of, of the sower. And then it's actually the, the Greek alphanumeric, the Greek gematria of the very symbol that we're looking at. This thing right there, this Lord God, you know what it really is? It's a Mobius strip. It's a Mobius strip. There's God in that one thing. And then we go out. We're going to go out. No, let's no, let's not go out. Let's go in. Let's say we're going in. Let's say we start here and then we go in and then, oh, so next thing you know, oh, shit, we're out. Oh, wait. What What happened? But no, it's all just on one piece of, you know, one plane, if you will. You're in, you're going in, and then you go out. And then when you go out, then what happens? Oh, you come in. This is why the Zodiac Man, that's why there's stars all over your body. So when we look out and we do the study of the celestial sphere and look at the stars and things like that, this is not some like, oh, it's out there thing. No, no, it's within you. What about the firmament? They literally call that dome up there the firmament. Firm, make firm, establish, consolidate, fasten. Mental, firm, ament. Ment is the Latin word for, uh, it's in, in, of, or pertaining to, in, <laughs> of, pertaining to the mind. 
of the mind, mentalists. So there's a place that's make firm, securely fixed in place is what firm means. That's what the definition of firm means. So they're telling you by the very word that that firmament up there is somewhere in your mind. The out is the in and the in is the out. I'm looking up there into things and it's like, oh, that's all that stuff that's up there. And it's firm in my mind. Jesus knew some shit. I'm just here to tell you that Jesus, I, I'm, you know what? I'm very confident that I think he knew what he was talking about. So, so pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth the people that are ready to do the great work so that they will have the harvest. This comes from, I don't know, John? I don't know. Luke? I don't know. And they went into Capernaum. Look at this, look at this painting here. There's the dome. There's a dome. <laughs> There's that place that's up and out of the whole thing, which is total unity with God. And then that message is going right down and beaming into what? The head, which is, which is he's got the, the halo there with the cross. So there's all that, which is a signi you know, signifying enlightenment, that sort of stuff. And then he's got this light, this you know, vibratory essence, these beams that are coming down right into his head. Okay, the firmament. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue. Badass. On the Sabbath day, the very day he's not supposed to, he goes in and does what? breaks the law and taught. Taught those people that were preaching and, and teaching, or, uh, you know, in the synagogue, they were praying and all this other stuff and worshiping in the synagogue. And what were they worshiping? Satan. He went right into the belly of the beast and said, I'm going to teach you truth now. And boy, did they hate that. They hated to, They hate him today. And they were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one that had authority, not as the scribes. The scribes, no, no, they don't, they don't have that one authority. He taught them as one, it says. Notice the verbiage. Notice the language. As one. And they had an authority. Who's your authority? It's he who authored you. It's God Almighty. Not as the scribes teach, because the scribes are not teaching that. They're teaching, we're the special boys. We're the ones that are going to get into heaven. And when Shmuley uh, Yanklovich shows up, he's really going to love us. Then Jesus shows up and tips over tables and he's got a whip and shit. <laughs> and then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit and cried out saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Oneness. If that stuff up there is separate from you, how can there be a oneness? Ultimately, you have what? At, when you get out and out and go out and out and out and out, ultimately you have what? God Almighty. And everything that's in is all a part of him. It's the Holy One of God. It's total unity. And um, that's what the great work is all about. 
the the fundamental symbolism of the great work is combining all of those opposites into what the one as i like to call it the one celestial beam of faith and when you have that celestial beam of faith you get wings and you fly up to heaven because you're a good bard you know what i'm saying you're a good bard so thank you all um it sucks i couldn't do this live but it is what it is our hopefully we'll get our internet situation <clears throat> whooped when we get out of here and move to missouri so anyway uh Thank you all for joining me today. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for uh, your attention and everything like that. We really appreciate it. If you would like to uh, sub become a subscribe star or um, help you know, continue us doing this, um, you can become a good bird. You can become a phoenix bird, an Aquila bird, a C uh, Cygnus bird, or you can become, as you guys know, Tommy the Pima bird. Who doesn't love Tommy? So I just want to thank everybody that does uh, support the, the good work that we do here. Um, I didn't have the list of donations, but if anybody does donate anything like that, we will mention it on uh, Tuesdays with Marty, which we will do as long as my internet works, So, uh, which is ridiculous. So anyway, uh, once again, Venmo, buy me a coffee, cash app, subscribe star. And if you would like, you can uh, you can do a snail mail or anything like that. If you want to just send us a letter or anything like that, uh, Kevin McNally, N17178 Country Pride Drive, Pembine, Wisconsin, 54156. Okay, guys, thank you so much. Uh, content safe. Thank you so much for getting me on BitChute and Rumble. We've been, we are streaming to Odyssey, YouTube, and Rockfin. So thank you, content safe. You can also get this live stream at the Flat Earth, Sun, Moon, and Zodiac app. It's a great app. It's a great app for helping you find people that are on the level. You know what I mean? On the level, flat, stationary plane of this earth. So uh, get the app. Sunday sermons are on there. Um, Dave's doing a great thing with that. So I'm also going to be speaking at The Gathering, Music and Sky, August 18th through the 21st. And um, speaking with a bunch of really great people there. Uh, really looking forward to that. Going to be good. If you do uh, order a ticket, please use the affiliate link, musicandsky.com forward slash mate and that sort of thing. So, all right, guys, that's going to do it for me. Um, we're going to play a song coming out since we started with faith no more because I have faith no more in the establishment or the media or anything that science is saying. I do not have faith in them anymore. So, uh, we started with faith no more's rendition of easy and we're going to, we're going to exit this with, uh, another cover that they did called midnight cowboy, which is good. So, all right, guys, thank you all for being with me today. Thank you for your time and your patience and, and everything. We, we really appreciate it. Okay, guys, may you always keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life may his grace be with you all amen all right guys that's gonna do it I will see you Tuesday and then next Sunday we'll do Matthew 10 and then like I said we'd like to do a couple verse a couple chapters and then move on to something else and then we come back to it so uh just like how it's like just how I like to do things okay I'll stop talking now let's listen to some faith no more love you so much as always, many blessings and much love to all.